Welcome to the JFI's Weekly Choosing Up podcast with author and therapist, Ilana Kendall, and me, your host, Ellie Bass. Each week, we explore how to get into a Choosing Up headspace using insights from my book of the same name, as well as Jewish wisdom, psychology, and more. Join us now for this week's episode. Are you ready to choose up? That's the groundwork. I am now going to pass it over to Alana Kendall. Alana, what are we thinking about this week in Choosing Up? First, we're thinking about unmuting. <laughs> first things first. Okay. I feel like my kids would often use the mute button with me if they could. Yeah. Well, as I've said many times, when we transition back to being in person, there are going to be many adjustments, including that we will not be able to turn the video off. <laughs> It's so true. Yeah, good morning. So I think probably the question is, what are we not thinking about? <laughs> More than what are we thinking about? Uh, information overload for many of us, most of us. You know, last week we spoke about moving from a place of reactivity to responsiveness, really tapping into ourselves, doing a check, a sort of emotional temperature check so that we're being able to function not from that lower part of ourselves that is so reactive, that is protective, that is fight or flight, but really that higher place of intellect, that gift, as we said, that, that is the crowning jewel of the human being, the, the ability to make choices. And so much of choice, as we know, is located in perspective. So I was reminded this week of a story, a folk tale, and I actually used to, when my daughter was younger, I used to go into her school and do a program with her class and I would tell this story and I would get the girls to, to come and act it out with me. So I want to tell you how we would do it. So it's a folktale about a, a couple, a, a couple who are living in very, very cramped space and they want a bigger place. Okay? In, in Corona, probably everybody can relate to this in some way, unless you're one of the you know, movie stars who is Zooming from, from their mansion, right? So they are, they are in this cramped space and the, the man goes to the rabbi and he goes to his rabbi and he says, you know, what we have is not enough. We want more, we want a bigger place. And so what I used to do when I would tell this story with the girls is I would bring a towel or a, a sort of a sheet and I would put it down in the middle of the classroom and I would get them to act it out with me. So I would say to them, so, so this man goes to the rabbi and he says, what we have is not enough, we want more. So the rabbi would say, okay, great, I have a solution for you. You need to go and get a goat and bring the goat into your home. So this man thinks like, you know, this is kind of crazy, but listen, I'm a man of faith, I'm gonna follow. Rabbi says to bring a goat, I'm gonna bring a goat. And what I would do is I would get one of the girls to volunteer to be the goat. So I would bring the goat onto our mat in the middle of the room. And so I would say, so, you know, man and his wife say what we have is not enough. And the goat says, meh. And you know, we would get this girl tacked out and you know, they were still not happy. I feel like I would end up being the goat. I'm just saying. Goat, okay, listen. If you want to be the goat, Ellie, you're the goat. So, so, so Ellie's our goat, and uh, so we we would continue this story, going to the rabbi, and every time this man goes to the rabbi and says, you know, what we have is not enough. We want more. The solution is always to bring another animal into the space. And so we bring in a chicken and we bring in a dog and we bring in a cat and a cow and et cetera, et cetera. And with every animal, I would get a girl to volunteer and we would end up with this mat squished full of animals. And if you can imagine, you know, a class full of girls clucking and maying and mooing and, and we would have this cacophony of sounds and they would have a very physical illustration of what it feels to be cramped in a space. And not only that, as we have talked about so many times, the thoughts that we have become the thoughts that we have. So that chance, right, getting into that groove of that place in ourselves of what we have is not enough, we want more. And you know, your line might be a little bit different, but most of us have a go-to chance of, you know, something is very wrong, it needs to change. And then at the, the denouement, the turning point of the story, is that the, the man goes to the rabbi and he continues with this chant, what I have is not enough, we want more. And the rabbi finally says, okay, here you go. Now go home and send home 
the chicken and the chicken gets sent home and, and the girl would leave the mat send home the dog, send home the cow, send home the cat, send home the goat. And what you're left with is this space that at one point felt small, that once it has been so cramped, once it's emptied out, feels so spacious. And it, we know that the essence of this story, and certainly what I was trying to convey to the girls, is that so much of our sense of of having enough and of enoughness inside of ourselves is how we look at it and how we look at ourselves. And you, maybe you've likely heard this story before. In our family, uh, it's, it's become like a short form, right? Oh, did you take the goat out? Right. Oh yeah, yeah, we sent the goat out. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all feeling better now. And you, know, you asked Ellie, what are we thinking about this week? And the answer, what are we not thinking about is that we are so full up here and we are so full and there is, there is so much. And certainly we always come back to where is our place of choice and our place of choice being located in our perspective. But I wanna give a little bit of a twist this morning. And, and that's why I, I shared it in the context of how I used to do this with my daughter's class. Because, you know, you said, I would be the goat. And, and that's actually a beautiful unplanted reaction because those girls, and you know what it's like uh, when, when you go into a young uh, class, kids, you know, me, me, pick me, pick me. And, and we know that usually children's behavior is only an enactment of, of our internal world. And how we might be feeling, you know, pick me or, or let it be my turn or my chance. And so what was being communicated there is that there was something precious about being able to participate in telling the story. Mm. And that's what, what I wanna bring our attention to today is that there is something so precious, so powerful in getting to tell the story. And we don't always get to tell the story we expected to tell with our lives. And certainly, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of memes going around, you know, like 2020, halfway through, ready to return back to sender. Um, you know, uh, oh, there was this great joke, you know, worst, most useless purchases made for 2020, a daily planner. Okay. <laughs> so, right? We, it's so true. You know, I, I often think like the best movie or the best book is yourself because you really have no idea what the ending is going to be. Like yes. you can figure it out ahead of time. Yes, yes. And one of my, my favorite ways of talking to myself is, you know, okay, here's a plot twist, right? Did not see that one coming. And, and so when we begin to engage with our life in this way, where we see, okay, there's something precious, there's an opportunity wherever I am, then we don't actually change the experience, but we change the experience of the experience. And you know, this, is, this is something that we talk about in therapy. So, so one of the terms that, that we often use, we talk about, you know, it's all fodder for the therapy, meaning whatever happens is all part of what you do. So, you know, as a therapist, you forget that really important thing that the client said to you last week. Uh, the client, uh, you know, misses an appointment or whatever that is that not just the work that happens within the session where you're actually thinking, you know, this is meant to be part of our work, but everything around it, everything that comes up is fodder for the work, is, is potential information, has potential meaning. You know, yesterday we were having work done in our building. So I am now Zooming all of my clients from home. And if I could tell you the hucking and knucking and drilling and a big part of the work that I do in my practice is I coach clients in mindfulness. Okay, so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm sitting, you know, and taking a mindful breath in and a mindful breath. So, so, you know, we could think, oh no, what am I going to do? Ignore this, pretend this away, like abort, abort, stop your mindfulness. But, you know, it's all part of it. In reality, whenever we try to drop into ourselves, if we are going to try to do a mindfulness practice, if we are even going to try to take a deep breath, nine out of 10 times, there is going to be a knock at the door, a phone ringing, drilling outside. So what actually is, is initially experienced as an interruption or interference is a beautiful opportunity. 
I love that because it, it fits with something Maimonides um, talked about, which is so clearly, of course, you're going to have, you're going to be able to commune with God at the top of the mountain by yourself in silence and have this profound experience. But what's more important is what you do when you come down from the mountain. Like, can you have mindfulness when you're in the market? Can you have mindfulness when you're in the grocery store? Like, the practice is not at the top of the mountain. And so I love what you're saying. So now you're going to have to start playing tapes of like drilling in your office. when all of <laughs> No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Sound, sound uh, track provided by your, your local contractor. But you know, I think we've even had that here, Ellie, right? Where we've had moments where someone's mute comes off or technical issues. And for most of us, our initial reaction is, Oh no, you know, how, how am I going to deal with this? And, and we all know that technical issues are really the small stuff in life, except for when you're about to get on an important meeting or have a final paper to, to hand in and your printer isn't working. And we've probably all also been there. Really, how do we, we deal with that in a way where we elevate the experience? And, and this is not just a therapeutic technique. You know, here, when we are talking about navigating our lives and really elevating our lives, we always are looking for those beautiful bridges and those synergies between the internal psychological therapeutic work and the Torah and reading our lives as a text is also what the Torah is telling us to do. And if we want to say that everything is fodder for the work, that there is no detail, no experience, no meh of a goat that, that is inconsequential or without opportunity to learn from and to be elevated, then we need only look to the Torah, which, which is written in such a way where there is never an extra detail. There is never a verse. There is never a letter. There is never you know, a, a spacing that is without meaning. And, and our responsibility and our opportunity is to learn to read those texts. And we don't do it alone. We do it with commentators. We do it as a journey. We don't kind of, you know, as we've said here, figure it out, move on, I'm good. It is an ongoing iterative process and a lifelong journey of learning. And so too with reading the texts of our lives. And learning, you know, this, this man and his wife start out with saying what we have is not enough. We want more. And we all, in our own ways, find those places in ourselves. What I'm dealing with is not what I signed up for, is often a phrase that we hear. Uh, well, who thought, who, who told you what you signed up for? Uh, you know, the, this is not what I think I can cope with, or, or if only this thing changed, then I would be good. And, and we, we see this actually in this week's Parsha. So as I was thinking about these ideas and, and getting ready to, to come on and chat with you this morning, I was remembering in the Parsha in Balautcha that we're reading actually in Chutz Laaretz in, in Israel, not in the diaspora, there are Parsha ahead of us because we had a second day of Shavuot. They continued on to Shabbat. Um, but I just, I wanted to read to you what, what we as a people say there, just to give us a context of how deeply rooted this is in our spiritual DNA and in our psyche. And remember, this is the door, this is the generation who have had, you know, the, the exquisite experience of communion with God, of man, of our sustenance falling from heaven. And, and we, we turn to God, the turn of Israel, turn and, and we weep, right? And we say to God, who will feed us meat? We want meat, like enough of this man, enough of this manna. And then, you know, it's interesting, Zaharnu et Hadaga, we remember the fish that we would eat in Egypt free of charge. Free of charge, right? Life was so good in Egypt, right? At least it was familiar. It was free of charge. And Rashi there explains what does free of charge mean? We didn't have the mitzvot. We didn't have spiritual obligations. That, and we know those obligations help us to grow. We know those obligations make us greater, but, but we were free. And we long for that old Egypt that we knew. And as we read this, we might think, you know, that's crazy. But, 
You know, nostalgia is an incredible thing. We can be nostalgic for the hardest of times, for the worst of situations. Hindsight is not 2020. Hindsight is, you know, painted with a beautiful brush. Uh, certainly hindsight gives us perspective at times. And, and then we go on in the, in the, in the psukim to recount, you know, what was so good there? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, right? It's a vegan's uh, dream menu. But now we say, Ata, our life is parched. Nafshenu yevesha. We have nothing before our eyes but man. Now, if, if someone said to you, listen, we're not sure about the future, but you have a mission, you have a journey, we're guiding you on it. And not only that, God is going to personally deliver to you better than Amazon, a package every day with your sustenance. Like, would we complain? And yet, you know, I think there's something so, so important to tell us about the human psyche here, which is that Rashi says, you know, it was man bashachar, there was manna in the morning, there was man ba'arav, there was manna in the evening. And the Emek Natsiv says that there was just, it was monotonous, morning and night, morning and night, the same thing. And you know, we've spoken about it here, that Groundhog Day phenomenon, where it's all sort of feeling the same, or, or maybe it's all feeling a little bit over the top, like, really, God, another goat? <laughs> you know, 2020, like, the, the screenwriters thought that the, the storyline was not exciting enough. I'm, I'm ready for that goat to leave. And yet, what we come back to again and again is this skill that we have the opportunity to build, which is to read the text of our life differently. And I, I wanna share with you an experience that I had when I was doing my master's that really for me was paradigm shifting. We, we read a, an article, a journal article in a course, and I actually don't remember the course, but I think it was a research methods course. And, it was a study of women with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And the author there, I still remember because it was just such an important construct that was presented, Pia Aspring. She, she studied these women who had developed chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia and, and their experience of it. And she talked about this idea of biographical disruption which she, she conceptualized as this story that is planned for one's life, that one is living, and then having a disruptive experience, which for these women was illness. They had an idea of how their life was going to go. And then there was this thing beyond their control that, that created this disruption in the plot of how they were going to live their lives. And she looked in her study at how women managed this. And there was a lot of reorganizing of life. There, one of the findings was definitely that women spoke about ultimately a positive outcome, that they were forced to reevaluate their lives. They were forced to reorganize their lives, to reprioritize, to discover new ways of being, new strengths. Okay, so biographical disruption at this point should sound very familiar to all of us. We have experienced mass biographical disruption. This is what any trauma experience does. And this is what we are all still living through very much wherever we are, whatever the level of, of crisis personally and, and, and around us. And I think this is what we're reading about in the Torah, that people are saying, but hold on, there was this story we were living. We were in Egypt and, and you know, we didn't have these obligations and this and this and this was so easy. And now the storyline is just sort of feeling like it's lagging. And, and so if we just, if we circle back to our goats, the key again is not so much in necessarily changing the circumstances around us, but how we relate to the circumstances that we are in. So you know your goat, right? You know the person or the thing in your life who is your goat, you know your chicken, you know your dog, and yes, we are having a mass sort of jump in the deep end um, crash course and getting perspective. 
because when some maybe restrictions are lifted or when some things become easier, wow, will we look at our little mat of life and go, okay, wow, yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna be grateful for this. But how do we live even when the goat and the dog and the chicken are with us? And, and part of that is really coming to value all of those pieces. I told you I had the girls come in. They valued being a part of that story. How can we come to value? And I, I didn't say like, okay? You know, I'm, I'm never, and you know, those of you who come on every week, you know that I'm not into a Pollyanna-ish stance. You know, it's just all good. It's not, doesn't all feel good in the moment. But we are still in a position of power to choose how we relate to it. So maybe for us is when we, when we identify that part of ourselves that, that are like the, the complainers in the midbar, when we identify that part of ourselves that are like that man and his wife, you know, what we have is not enough. We can come back to that place of, okay, and yet, and yet, what now? And what from this? It's interesting to me because it seems to me like if I think about my kids, right, there's always this um, dance that you see playing out in Dummy Bar, which is like you need a certain type of stability and repetition during times of stress and trauma, right? Like the less change, the better. So you kind of like want things to be the same. And then at the same time, you get bored and you want things to be different. And it's like this constant dance of how much change can I handle and how much stability do I need in order to be able to like function in this situation. And it seems to me like the kid brain, right? Or the more like emotionally immature part of ourselves will be kind of all over the map. Whereas like the mature part of ourselves, that mature emotional piece, which is, okay, there's change and there's repetition. And these two things are kind of happening at the same time, but do we see the, like, like you said, what's the value of each? And I think that's really interesting to think about, you know, how much change can we handle and how much stability do we need right now? Probably a bit of both, right? You know, whenever I do start a class, I always start with a question. And, and if it's ever set up in such a way where, you know, is it X or is it Y? We always know that it's going to be kind of both and, and how do they fit together? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but Midbar is really a, an interesting and important template for us in, in how this might map out, which is particularly if we think about where Midbar is located in, in the Torah, whereas the previous books of the Torah are, are telling a story in many ways, but Midbar is not chronological in that it's actually at the same time. Certainly the, the beginning prakim, the, the beginning sections, are at the same time as what was told in Vayikra, in, in the previous Sefer. So the Ramban actually ha has a discussion around this. And, and part of what is, is communicated there and what actually Rabbanit Shani Tarragon spoke about really beautifully is that Bamidbar is the Sefer, is the book where we take what we learned previously, where we take the lessons about the Mishkan, which is this, this dwelling place of holiness, this dwelling place of connection. We take what we've learned about holiness itself, this, this concept of passionate connection, of elevation, and we take it out of the Mishkan, out of the bubble of the Mishkan, and bring it into the Machaneh, the encampment of the Jewish people. And therefore, if, if you're talking about this, you know, how much do we need stability? How much can we manage change? This is such a beautiful model of how we don't learn or go through a process one time. Rather, we need to learn something in one place, and then we need to be able to take it and transfer it out and really to generalize it, that what happens internally must happen first internally. This, this is, I believe, teaching us about an order of operations. We can't share with the world what we haven't first cultivated within. 
Therefore, we first have to have this lesson and learning as a people within the Mishkan, but it's not meant to stay there. That once we have that, then we transition out of that bubble. Then we integrate it into, as you said, that sort of down the mountain kind of life. But first we, we have that touch point. So if we think about how do we manage this, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we can and we are, we are managing. Uh, I think that's maybe the, the first, the biggest piece. We talk about learning in real time, meaning we don't just talk about what might happen outside of session or outside of a learning context, but what is happening. Mm -hmm. As we are sitting here, even with struggle, and, and every person with their own unique struggles and their unique challenges and their unique experiences of you know, what I have is not enough, we are also managing. This is what is happening right now. Maybe we are stumbling, maybe we need to get back up, but that is actually what is happening as, as we are here. You know, and then, and then you know, if we want to come back to this model that you suggested of kind of understanding our children and therefore our child brain, or as we sometimes think of that lower brain as the reptilian brain. And then that will be the fight or flight. That will be the part of ourselves that will go like, no, this is not working. Um, you know, that voice should be familiar to all of us, whatever it sounds like for you. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I know. I've heard about it. I've heard about it. Um, you know, going to do some more research and get back to you. So, 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 if we want to think about it as the child. So we've spoken here about, about self-soothing and, and, and bringing the nervous system down, but maybe another, another facet to add today is around attachment. Mm -hmm. And that as a child develops, so what we see is that they are attached to the mother, they are attached to the father, to the caregiving unit, but progressively, what we want is for them to be able to stretch and to move further. So, so the dynamic that this looks like in the playground, if, if you remember what it was like to be able to just take our children to playgrounds. You know, here in Toronto, we are still not, not uh, playgrounding. Uh, so, so, so the young child goes off to play, but kind of like looks over their shoulder, makes sure that, that mom, dad, or caregiver are there. And, and then goes off into their own world, but then what we see is that they come back to, to that safety place. You know, as a touch point, they will, you know, show the leaf they found or show off the, the amazing thing they did on the slide. And that will be a way of reconnecting, re-energizing, re-clarifying their safety in reference to the caregiver and then going back off into the world. And, you know, by the way, this is a lifelong dynamic. We see this certainly with adolescents who want nothing to do with mom and dad. But then for some reason, some days, you know, just run back and they're your best friends. And if this is very bewildering for parents, uh, you know, but we are, but we aren't, but we are, but we aren't. But this is actually what is needed for that development to, to be able to express that independence. And, and what, what is necessary for that is that there be that stable caregiving figure there. Mm -hmm. That they are there and ready and available for connection and for support. And so, if we're going to think about okay, how do we manage this? How are we managing the wobbliness? And then, how much sameness can we have? I think the sameness, the routine must be there. And it must be in places that are within our control. So, so like, what's in our control these days? So what's in our control is in here and, and the ways that we actively reach out for connection ultimately with our creator. And if you think about it, so again, the, the genius of Torah and the genius of how Jewish life sets us up for this consciousness, at every doorway, we have a transitional object. We have something that helps us remember touch points is God come back to mom or dad, you know, come back to loving creator and now go keep going on. And in that mezuzah, in the mezuzah cover, the scroll where we have the Shema, where we have the declaration of our, of our knowledge and belief in that one God as the touch point in our life. 
And so, you know, if you're asking Ellie, how, how, do, how do we navigate this? You know, there are so many ways. And, and that's, I think, what's keeping us coming back here every week and, and exploring new facets and new angles. So I would never, you know, on one foot say like, this is the way everybody can <laughs> be the nugget. The nugget for today and from where we are in Bamidbar is as we transition into the Machana, as maybe some restrictions are being lifted and people are having all sorts of different reactions and concerns and doubts and is to be making that touch point a part of our practice, to be coming back to that place and that being that stability. I love that because it's such a beautiful image that that the Torah can be the structure, the Torah can be the mother or the father or the structure, the stability that allows us to then go out and explore and go out and grow and go out and individuate and, and um, have a different experience because it will always be there to come back to. Mm. And, and I think it's such a beautiful way of thinking about it because then it doesn't feel restrictive, it feels supportive. Yes. And I think that's such a beautiful paradigm shift when you think about a life of, um, of being committed to, to Torah and to God and, and what that looks like. I think it's, it's, uh, that's a really cool way of thinking. I, like I think, about, yeah, I think about sometimes the, especially the ways that Chazal, that our sages have interpreted the texts and helped us to understand them. I think about them as sort of like lunch notes. Uh, so, so I have a piece that I, I wrote about this in, in the book where I talk about lunch notes and writing lunch notes for my daughter, but part of why I write lunch notes or, you know, when, when people used to leave our home <laughs> to have lunch, um, I will say every now and then I have been giving lunch notes, even, even in lockdown and Corona, but uh, certainly not with the same consistency. But one of the reasons that I wrote lunch notes is I came from a long line of lunch note writers. You know, I bought lunch notes. I saved my lunch notes, the little stickers my mother would put, the little, you know, notes. And, and I think about the, the teachings from Chazal, our sages, sometimes as like the little lunch notes that, you know, what is the function of a lunch note when we go to school? Is that the child opens up their lunch and along with the sandwich and the veggies and the fruit and you know all the healthy things that we hope to be fueling them with physically we are nourishing them at another level we are saying even though you're out in the world you are still connected to me and i know that sometimes it's really hard uh, i got the memo i went to school i know what it's like it's not always smooth it's not always easy but honey i'm thinking of you I, I'm holding you in my mind. I'm holding you in your, my heart. And when a child can receive that message, what fuel it can give them for the rest of the day. And it's not just fuel that, you know, mom or dad or whoever is taking care of me is thinking of me, but it's, it's an identity formation because it's, I am someone who is thought of. I experience myself out in the world as someone who is being thought of, and therefore I have more strength and, and wholeness inside of me, and, and therefore then I can go and deal with all of that crazy stuff that, that our kids have to deal with in school. And you know, we know it doesn't actually get easier, although in some ways it does. Um, and so, so the, the lunch note is, I think, you know, like Chazal give us lunch notes, our sages give us those little messages, you know, we knew what exile was going to be like. And the Almighty sends us lunch notes, you know, I, I, I knew you were going to have to go into a midbar in your life, you are, you, are, you are going to experience wilderness more than once. And here's how you can navigate it. And honey, I'm thinking of you. You know, I'm, I'm with you. And how powerful that is to hold with us. I, I remember there was a book I read a number of years ago about a woman who had worked very closely over a number of years with a therapist. I believe her diagnosis was with uh, bipolar. She, she had really struggled in her life and had done so well working with this therapist. And her therapist suddenly died. Mm. And the title of the book was Your Voice in My Head. Mm. And 
it was this this writing this sort of letter in a in a book format of mourning and loss but also understanding at a certain place of, of integration that she was able to take that therapist's voice into her head and in such a way that she could think you know okay what would you have said to me now and and that really again as we as we continue on in our growth and our learning is ultimately our goal you know what what comes up for me is is thinking about this as we talk about the texts of our lives and learning to read the texts of our lives and learning to read the texts of torah in such a way that it it becomes alive within us that we have that feeling of that wow this is my lunch note you know god you were thinking of me mm -hmm. um and and in such a way that it becomes woven into the fabric of who we are is actually part of the morning blessings we make on learning Torah. I, conveniently, I have many, many students. <laughs> um, yeah. Da, da, da. Very nicely organized by someone other than me. Um, so, so we say um, in, in the morning blessings, we ask God, we bless God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. And then we say, Please, Hashem, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. And so this word, and may you sweeten, so, so we translate it as sweeten, and we want Torah and this wisdom to be sweet. We want the lunch notes to be sweet. But if we look at that word, it is also connected to the word in Hebrew for mixture, a ta'arovet. And so we know, as we said, right, it's all fodder, right? It is all potential learning, again, with the text. It is all, it is all fodder. There are so many layers here. And so one of the ways that we can understand it is that when we make these blessings in the morning, what we're asking God is to make Torah a mixture within us, that it should become so deeply intertwined into who we are, that it should become so much the perspective that we can bring to our lives, that we are at one with it, that, that it is part of us, that it is integrated, that it is your voice in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, in navigating these very uncertain, very traumatic for many people times, this is this has got to be our lunch note. Yeah, it's a beautiful idea. I remember seeing once, and I, I apologize, I forget actually who the quote was from, but the idea was that prayer is us talking to God, and study is God talking to us. That that the text is it's it is a back and forth conversation, and so this idea of the text being lunch notes. Yeah, and, and I think so often we don't walk around with the feeling that, that God is thinking of us in this moment, right? It, it seems like such an abstract, faraway concept, but if we say a vinu malkenu, right? Our God, our father, our king. So a father's thinking of his kid. And I think, you know, it's such a beautiful way of thinking about that, that if we go to the text, that relationship is happening all the time. I love it. Okay. Um, we're getting to like the last like 20 minutes or so. What's our choosing up paradigm for this week? What are we looking at and what are we working on? Okay. So it's a few parter today. Okay. Should we first things first, second thing second, hopefully third things third. Okay. Awesome. Good. So, so when we talk about the choosing a paradigm, what we're talking about is, is this, this concept, this definition that we've been working with, which is that choosing up is this moment to moment pro, pro, practice of seeking opportunities for growth, meaning and God in our experiences. And that this is meant to not just be some abstract, notion. This is not just a cognitive exercise, although that certainly is a, a, a part of, of its genesis, but that it is meant to translate into shifting how we think, how we speak, and how we act. And so we're always looking for these linkages, right? The linkages between the goat, the lunch note, 
our lives, right? Where, where is all of this going to come alive in such a way that this is going to change, not just how I experience my reality, but then how I, how I change the experience of the people around me. Um, and so, so what, what I want to start with is in our Parsha. Uh, and so we spoke about this episode of complaining was kind of midway through. Uh, and so I want to go back to the beginning and to speak specifically about the menorah there. So the Parsha begins with, with Hashem speaking to Moshe. And he says Moshe to speak to, tells him to speak to Aaron. And I'll just read to you what it says there. He says, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you kindle the lamps towards the face of the menorah, shall the seven lamps cast light. Okay, and this is where we get the name actually of the Parsha from. So it's it, in the Hebrew, it says, Daber el Aharon, speak to Aaron, va'marta elav, and say to him, va'alotecha, okay, when you kindle the lamps. So Rashi there says something, which, which I think is, is actually very important for us right now, particularly at a time when we are launching into summer over here which he says, what is balotra, when you kindle mean? Because the flame rises, for one must kindle, and that is to first hold the fire to the wick until the flame rises by itself. Okay, so Rashi is telling us something here that is very practical at one level, okay? Have you ever lit a fire? You know, you need to hold the match there, you need to hold the kindling there, and let it come to, to be lit on its own, and only then can you remove that initial sort of igniting light. But he's also telling us something about the goal of lighting something or someone, which is that the ultimate goal is to actually remove that kindling. The ultimate goal is to give the opportunity for that light to shine and to stand on its own. You know, let's go back to our paradigm around the child who needs to go out into the schoolyard, into life. And for many parents, you know, that is a very scary experience. We like it when they're in our Dalit Amut, when they're in our space, or maybe at this point for many people, we're like, I'll go play. Uh, but, but most people like control. Uh, most people like to feel kind of like they're part of. And yet, um, what, what we see is that the ultimate goal is to give light in such a way where we remove the light. <laughs> I'm having a dancing show over here. It's really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, There's the, always, always background entertainment. Distractions. I just, I, I couldn't keep a straight face anymore. <laughs> I'm enjoying the dancing though. I really am. Okay, so, so the goal, the goal is to create people who can dance in our homes, right? And that, that is the goal, to create the space where, where we put that light there and then we remove it and we make that space there. And so why is that our choosing up paradigm? So, you know, growth meaning God. So God has put us in this circumstance, okay? Meaning going to be so individual for each of us. You, you all have your own goat. I certainly have, have mine. Um, and, and some goats are very cute. And some goats are very moody, uh, and, and each moment has its moment. The growth point is this, is to allow the space for the people around us to do their growing. Okay, so sometimes we have an agenda. We have a, a, an idea of how they ought to be growing or what they ought to be doing. And our job really is to provide that fuel and then step back. And particularly for a lot of people who are going to be having kids home more this summer, not at camp, it's actually such a beautiful and important and challenging opportunity to foster more independence. You know, mom, I'm bored. Good. What are you going to do? Figure it out. Here are a few options. Step back. Right? Someone around us struggling. How do we support them? but then step back, you know, one of my teachers talks about this in therapy, is that as a therapist, we, we ought not become too involved in the person's process, particularly when we're doing work that has to do with reorganization around the nervous system. Why? Because the client's nervous system actually has all the capacity that it needs to reorganize. 
And if we get involved too much, it's a bit like continually pouring creamer into coffee. Like it just ends up being creamer with a bit of coffee. The coffee was good. Don't pour in too much creamer. Right? Similarly, we see Balotra put that light there. And then what is it to contract a little, like God, who is Mitzantem, who he says, you know, we say has to contract in order to make space for creation. How do we do that for the people around us? I think that's beautiful also, because if we think of it like a doctor or a healer, right? A doctor, when someone's ill, they don't just follow them around 24 hours, giving them medicine and checking their pulse. Like, you do what's what's needed to be done in the moment. Okay, now go away. Do, you know, whatever it is you're doing, take whatever you need to take and then come back and see me. Like we don't um, expect them to be attending to us. What we're doing is the doctor steps back and then trusts that the healing process will take place with whatever tools you've been given to like work with. And I think it's such a, mm -hmm. it's a unique way of thinking in terms of healing and, and that paradigm with our kids right? That sometimes you just have to do that piece and then like let them go and, and, and do their thing, like, and, and trust that the healing process or the growing process will happen without you constantly facilitating that in some way. Um, but it's also hard to do because like our inclination as parents is the opposite of letting go. <laughs> so it's really challenging. I've heard about that also. <laughs> You know, I, I think um, just coming back to that touch point idea also, we, we want to be that, that stable place. You know, I, I remember once learning a meditation uh, around mothering as being like a mountain, right? So you're stable, you're present. Uh, you, a mountain doesn't shout. A mountain doesn't kind of become a different form every day. A mountain is there, which is also, you know, a whole other piece and something for us maybe to speak about another week around boundaries and, and stability in, in self and, and uh, you know, compassionate boundary setting also, but, but, but stability in that. Um, but also for ourselves, again, coming back to that touch point of, of connection to God in our lives to the sense that there is that lunch note here for us. And, and that takes time building that relationship as well. I said it was a three-parter. Can I tell you the third part? Please. Yeah, okay, weeks ago I showed you my tulips. Okay, I don't have tulips this week, but I have. I brought the bowl close so I wouldn't have to get up. I have a lot of lemons. <laughs> I just, I, and, and I really think they're pretty and I'm actually I'm planning on we're planning lemonade and preserved lemons has anyone ever done preserved lemons yeah, okay. yeah. This, this is yeah. so, so I'm gonna put my lemons down so first of all I have to tell you one of my favorite memes that I ever saw that we just always come back to is that you know when you expect life to be easy peasy lemon squeezy and it's just difficult difficult lemon difficult okay yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually am starting to think maybe I should just have a bowl full of lemons on my table at all times. Maybe. To remind myself of that. Yeah, yeah. so I'm going to take a couple. I'm going to say that in DBT and dialectical behavior therapy, which over the weeks I've been sharing different, different strategies and skills from, we do talk a lot about making lem lemonade from lemons. It's like whatever you have, how do you make the lemonade from the lemons? But first you have to know that you got lemons. And so this is the, the third piece, um, and I'm gonna put my lemons down, visual, visual uh, aid, stepping out of the frame for a moment. Uh, but that is similar to our goats at the beginning, you know, if you're in your automatic story, if you're just in that rush of, oh, what I have is not enough, or, or what's next, or reactivity, then you can't even see that, you know, they're actually lemons, or there's actually a goat. And, and so, so if, Part of the message for us this week is to give the other people around us space. It's also to give ourselves that space. To find the lemons, <laughs> to find then the way that we can, can make some lemonade because, you know, lemonade is good. Even if it's not what you had planned. Yeah, and I think so often we try to say, oh, no, 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 it's not lemons, it's grapes. Or, oh, no, 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 it's not lemons, it's pineapple. Right. It's like something that I like and it's all good. And then, you know, it's not a big deal. And, and then 
sort of missing, like you said, the valuable opportunity of lemons that they yeah. offer like a unique opportunity that apples and pineapples and grapes and, and all of those things that we might like better. Yes. Um, provides. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's an interesting way of reframing just being with what's right in front of you. Yeah. I love, I love an extended fruit metaphor. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. But I, I will, I will also come back to if we want to just take it down to the concrete that yes, sometimes we want to say something it's good. It's all good. Or I'm all fine. Or this kid doesn't have that issue or that person doesn't need to work on this thing because we're scared of being with some of the difficulty, but that actually being with the difficulty will be the place from which we can then grow and change and do better and be better and choose up. It's so good how that got wrapped up to choose up. <laughs> Amazing. And look, it, the book's even lemon colored. So that's all I'm going to think about now whenever I look at your book. Thank, thank so. you. Thank you. Thank you for the book plug. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to just uh, open it up for a moment to see if anybody has any questions on our Zoom. Let's see. I think everybody's like listening. But uh, does anyone have a question? Baby for a while. Thank you for the baby. <laughs> I know that was so yummy. Hi. Okay, so I think if anybody has a question and you don't feel comfortable answering or asking it right now, you can use the chat. Um, oh, there we get to see the baby for one minute. Oh my gosh, so cute. Can't even handle it. Um, okay, um, and otherwise, I think, Elena, is there anything that you want to leave us with? I mean, that was a pretty bow that you tied it up with there at the very end with the choosing up, but... Um, uh, anything else that we should go into our Shabbat with this week? I think it was enough. <laughs> I think it was a good, a good yeah. wrap up. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, just to, to remind us, we started by talking about that our place of power is around how we tell our story. And that is so important that it's all fodder. It's all opportunity. And we see that from the Torah. And that the Torah is this, this lunch note. It is this mentalization really from God that the Almighty is letting us know, honey, I'm thinking of you mm -hmm. yeah. and carrying that with us in our life and that we are in a time of transition and that's in the text to be able to take the Kedusha, the holiness of the bubble of the Mishkan into the Machana, into the encampment, down from the mountain, into our everyday lives and to work to be connected to that, to make space for others to do that work and to make space for ourselves. Beautiful. Thank you yeah. so much, Alana. Thank you as always for the weekly physic and the uplift and the choosing up paradigm for our week. Um, thank you. Shabbat shalom. shalom. Thank you, Ellie, so much for creating this space and this conversation and learning and growing together. It is really an honor. See you next week. See you next week. Shabbat shalom, Ellie. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom, Alana. Shabbat shalom. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to join our live Zoom each week, go to myjfi.com slash register to sign up for our Zoom session on Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would also love to hear your choosing up stories and moments. Please send us an email and let us know more at ellie at myjfi.com. To learn more about Alana Kendall, her book and her work, go to her website, alanakendall.com. Until next week, Let's find our way to choose up.